Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and serve you, and we love the truth of your word. Father, we live by it. We want to make decisions based on it. We want it to uh, just infiltrate every part of our heart, every part of our mind, every part of our life, Lord. And so I pray right now as we open the truth of your word, you would speak clearly to us. Father, I pray I wouldn't say anything that I want to say. I would say everything that you want to say. And I pray, Father, that people wouldn't hear a sermon that they would hear from you. Through the power of the Spirit, you'd speak into their hearts, into their lives. You would change them, mold them, shape them, Father, to be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. A couple of quick things before I begin this morning. I want to remind you, first of all, we are still challenging you to write cards I think next week I'm going to ask you to stand up if you've written one. That'd be okay, and then y'all can look around and laugh at the people that haven't. Fair enough, right? We're getting a lot of cards in the basket. The basket is filling up, but there's a lot more cards to be written. There's little sheets out here in the back. Take one, write a card to every missionary. That's all we're asking you to do. Take 30 minutes out of your life. That's all you need. It'll be worth your time. I promise you'll be blessed. They'll be tremendously blessed. You can take a little card. Also, if you did not receive a mission magazine last week, and you want one. Ushers, I'm not going to get you to pass them out now, but there's some in the back, there's some down here, we'll put some in the front. You need to get a mission magazine, take a look at it, read through it, pray through it, all of our upcoming trips from 2016. And the other thing I want to challenge you to do, there are little cards like this. We didn't print these so you could make them into airplanes and throw them in the trash. We want you to do something with them, okay? Here's what, here's what you need to do. On the front are a list of all the trips that are going to be taken next year. On the back is a list of all of our local trips that are ongoing throughout the year. And a little spot you can fill out information. If you're even remotely considering any of these, we need to know about it. This helps us make plans. It helps us with our budget. It helps us with leadership. It's very important. We've got to decide who's going to lead these trips. The things that we need to know now, we've got to hear from you. So you say, I'm not sure I'm going to go. I'm just praying about it. Then just write that at the bottom. It's okay. But I'd like every person to fill out a card. You can bring it down front at the end. You can give it to me. Put it in the offering plate next week. But I want everybody to be involved in that process of praying and thinking and deciding how the Lord is going to use them, whether it's locally or whether it's around the world. We were challenged last week by Dustin from North American Mission Board to live on mission everywhere we are. You do not have to get on an airplane to be a missionary. You don't have to travel the far reaches of the world or the far reaches of our country. You can literally walk across the street. You can walk across the hall at school or at work. So I just want to challenge you and encourage you to be missional where you are, whether that means flying around the world or walking across the street, be involved on some level, sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with somebody that doesn't yet know. Okay? Now, Genesis chapter 13. We've been studying the book of Genesis, not for six years like Dustin Willis tried to say last week. A few months, that's okay. We've got a little while to go, but we're going to take our time. I've kind of resolved myself to the fact that this is the word of the Lord and it's okay for us to take our time studying. Amen? Is that okay to say? We don't need to rush through it. 
If you're in a hurry, just read it fast and be on your way. But this is what the Lord's called us to do. We're going to study it. We're going to understand it because I think there's great truth here. Too often times, I think this becomes just a little blurb in our life, right? We run one little verse in the morning and that's all we get. And then there's so much in here. I had somebody come to me this morning who was just very interested in what we're studying. He said, I've already read the next 13 chapters, which is really cool, of Genesis. And he said, I had no idea there was that much stuff. He said, I didn't know there was so much information about all these people and all the stories we've been told through the years and, and a, an understanding of Scripture is, is founded oftentimes in the book of Genesis. And so we're working through and I just want to remind you of, of the big picture, kind of the, the meta-narrative here of, of the, the story we're studying. It's very easy for us to pull individual verses and learn things from those verses. And those things are good. We should do that. But there's a big picture going on here. There's a big picture in Scripture we need to understand. And we've kind of began to see that through our study in Genesis 1 and the creation and the fall and the flood. And then we've taken kind of the, the big picture approach of all the Lord has done. And He's kind of he's honed our attention down onto one man, Abram. And from Abram, the line of David, and eventually the line of Christ, the Messiah, will come. And it's, it's fascinating to me as we study this and understand this and, and delve more and more into the life of Abram, we begin to understand that even a man that was a forefather of Christ... Now understand this, Jesus Christ is going to come from the line of Abram, even from the line of Abram, even this man that's going to lead into eventually the Messiah, we see that in his genealogy, even this man wasn't perfect. I don't know about you, I just take a lot of comfort there. Even Abram made mistakes. And so we studied a couple of weeks ago how he had been called out of the land that he loved, the land of his father, the land where he was familiar. He'd been called out of that land to the place the Lord was shown to the land of Canaan, the, the promised land. And even as he arrived there and the Lord blessed him and used him, even in that moment, in the moment of famine that we read a couple of weeks ago, Abram kind of wavered and he waffled, didn't he? Even though he'd seen the Lord's hand at work, even though he'd experienced the power and the call on his life, he failed to trust in the Lord and he kind of wandered into the wilderness. And he, he lied about his wife. He lied to Pharaoh. He failed to serve the Lord in all things. And he stayed for this period of time, the Bible doesn't tell us how long, wandering in the wilderness. And so our, our account this morning in Genesis 13 is a picture of him coming back to the Lord. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 13, verse 1 this morning. We're going to walk through this passage of Scripture like we do every Sunday morning, understanding what the Lord would say to us. Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen as well. So Abram went up from Egypt. Remember, he's been in Egypt. He's been in the wilderness. He's been away from the Lord. He went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. Here's point number one. We're going to unpack this and delve into this over the next few minutes. Number one, Abram returned to the Lord. Abram returned to the Lord. Now I begin to think this week as I was praying through this passage of Scripture and studying and try to understand it better, I begin to think, you know, it can be confusing sometimes when we study the Word of God and we read about all these different places and all these different locations and all the places that Abram walked. So I want to spend just a couple of minutes this morning and I want to show you a map. Now I have to, I have to guard myself because anytime I start looking at maps, I get really excited. I'm, just, I'm a I'm nerd about maps. I own a lot of maps. I... 
in my spare time, I honestly enjoy looking at maps. I know that sounds very bizarre to you. I've got a globe on my desk, and you can catch me sometimes just looking at the globe. It's just, I just enjoy maps. But I've got a map. I want you to pull the map of the Middle East, and I have a laser pointer, which is even more dangerous. Because two things are about to happen. One, I'm going to point some things out on the map. But number two, if you're asleep, I'm hitting you in the retina with a, with a laser beam, okay? So just be aware of that right now. Now, I'm going to give you a big picture here. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it. Don't get, don't get worried, okay? It's not a geography class. Big picture, right? We see Egypt. We know Egypt. We know the area of Israel, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. We, we've heard about these places. We know these locations, okay? We're familiar with this part of the world. Abram is going to leave, basically, the promised land. He's going to delve down into Egypt. He's going to wander in Egypt with the Pharaoh. We talked about that. Now he's coming. The Bible says, if you look back in Scripture in verse 1, he went up from Egypt, right? He's going back up into Israel. That's the geography we're understanding. Okay, go to the next one, if you would, for me, please. Now, there's a lot on this map, and so I just pointed out one area to you because the Bible tells us of Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev. Now, it's N-E-G-E-B here. Some scriptures have a V, some have a B. He's walking from the, kind of the southwest in Egypt. He's walking northeast. He goes through Negev. He's going to walk all the way up, the Bible tells us, to the area between Bethel and Ai. You can see the town of Bethel there. And that's where he's going to place his original tent, that's where the altar is located. That's where Abram is going to return from the Lord. Okay? I just wanted you to get a big picture. Now, we're going to use this map here again in a few minutes. You can bring the main point back up if you would, please. Abram returned to the Lord. I want you to see this and understand where he's coming from, how he had wandered in the wilderness, and how he now had returned to the place the Lord had called him. Now, I want to point something interesting out to you in Genesis chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, flip back. If not, I'm just going to read it to you. There's an interesting passage in Genesis 12, verse 8. After the Lord had called Abram, after he had promised the blessings, after he'd shown him the land, Genesis 12, 8 says this, From there he went to the hills east of Bethel, right? And it tells where Bethel is on the west of Ai. There, at the end of the verse, he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Now, this is important because Abram is going to leave his land. He's going to leave his father's house. He's going to leave everything that's familiar. He's going to walk to the area of Bethel. He's going to, he's going to set up his tent. He's going to build an altar. He's going to call on the name of the Lord. And then at that moment in verse 8 of chapter 12, that's the last moment until he returns to the Lord that he calls on the name of the Lord. I think that's interesting. In fact, if you read through the rest of Genesis chapter 12, which we did a couple of weeks ago, all of his wandering and walking in the wilderness, not one time is the name of the Lord mentioned. Not one time is an altar to the Lord mentioned. Not one time is Abram seeking the Lord and trying to figure out what the Lord calls him to do. It's as if he followed the Lord, he did what the Lord called him to do, he came to a place of obedience, and then he wandered. Now, I want you to take comfort in this very spot in Scripture. And here's where the comfort comes. Some of us have wandered from the Lord, haven't we? Now, if we were honest with each other at this very moment, and maybe even honest with ourselves, we may say, you know what, Adam, I'm wandering from the Lord now. <laughs> it's not a past tense thing for me. It's happening right now. I've, I've, I've gone astray. I've, I've walked away from the Lord. And, and frankly, Adam, I know there was a time in my life when I was close and I was seeking the Lord, but that's not who I am now. I've wandered from the Lord. And some of you would say, it's about time or maybe I need to return. 
I had the chance a couple weeks ago to go to the SEND North America Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Some of you were with us. We took about 30 of our students. Many of the students went. Some adults went. I, I was very excited to go. It was a, a fantastic conference. Heard really some, some world-class speakers as it related to missions and mission work and church planning. But the conference was in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Right? Country music capital. Whatever you go, there are boots and guitars everywhere you go in downtown Nashville. Walk down Main Street, Broad Street there. And so when we showed up that very first day, I was so excited. Nashville's a pretty good-sized city. The Bridgestone Arena is right downtown. And you obviously just can't park right at the arena. You have to park several blocks off, and you find the best spot you can. I found a nice parking deck that was three or four blocks from the arena. And I was so excited that first day that I pulled into that Bridgestone Arena parking deck several blocks away. I parked my car and didn't even consider where I'd parked. Have you ever done that before? You know where this is going, right? You ever done that? That's not usually me. That's not usually my personality. I'm usually pretty clear. I take a picture with my phone or I write it down. But I think I was so excited to hear, you know, David Platt and Louis Giglio and the Passion Band and David Crowder and all these people. I was so excited to hear these people. I forgot about my car. And so I hop out and lock it like and I go and I had this, this great experience the first day of the conference. And then many, many hours later, I'm not sure how many hours it was, we decide we want to go back to our van. And so it was me and Amy and a buddy of mine that I, that I knew from another church. He was with us and he was going to ride back with us. And we walk into the parking deck and we walk right to the spot that I thought my car should have been parked and I didn't see my van. Now I'm in a sweet minivan. That thing's hard to miss. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Dual sliding doors, you know. So I'm looking for this cool ride here. I'm trying to figure out where it is. And I can't find it. And so what do you do? You reach in the clicker, you know. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You try to listen for the sound and... I'm nothing. I'm not hearing anything. And so we're starting to look. And five minutes turns into eight minutes, turns into ten minutes, turns into fifteen minutes. We still didn't find our van. We didn't, I didn't know where it was. And for just a moment now, just for a moment, you start to panic because you start thinking, what? Where's my van? Did somebody steal it? Did it get towed? And so I just kind of had this moment. I said, you know what? I'm just going to walk back to the street because I don't even know where I'm parked. I'm going to retrace my steps. Have you ever had to do that? And I literally, and, and, and Amy went with me, I literally walked back out into the street and I retraced my path, thinking this time about my van. And when I got in, I realized that there was a kind of another entry. It sounds kind of obvious now, and I, I seem kind of silly even saying it, but there was a whole other area that I'd missed. That's, you know, sometimes parking dates, you can circle the whole day. These were kind of separate. You could circle one area, then you had to come out and back in and circle another. And when I, when I turned in that first area, I realized my van was right there. It, it was right where I left it, obviously. It was very close to the entrance. I'd found a good spot. I'd just forgotten where I parked it. But I, I couldn't find my van until I had literally retraced my steps. Now, I want you to think about that as far as the Lord's concerned. Some of you have lost your place with the Lord, haven't you? You kind of forgot where you parked, so to speak. Maybe there was a time when you were there and things were good and you were seeking the Lord and growing in your faith and, and, and maybe at some point you've kind of strayed away and you, you've wandered away and maybe at some point you realize I need to get back but you're at this point in your life right now where you've, you've wandered so far away you can't see it anymore. You're not sure exactly where it is and you're kind of wandering through the wilderness looking for it. You ever done that? I don't know about you, but... I feel like that sometimes. Like, Lord, I, I want to get closer to you. 
I want to walk with you even more than I'm walking now. And sometimes it's difficult for us to, to, to find where we left the Lord. Let me just clue you into the truth of Scripture. God didn't move, you did. You understand that, right? It's not God who's walking in the wilderness, it's you. And I love what Abram does because in order for him to get back to the Lord, he, he literally retraces his steps. He comes back up through the Negev and he goes back up towards the area of Bethel and he goes back over towards Ai and he goes back to where that tent was and where that altar was. And in order to return to the Lord, he retraces his steps back to where he was. Now some of you need to retrace your steps. Some of you need to take those steps for the very first time. But I just want to encourage you, it's never too late to find the Lord. It's never too late to find Christ. I know in a church this size with the services we have and all the people, there are people that come into these doors every Sunday morning that are struggling. They're looking for something. They come hoping they can find the truth that maybe they'd not seen before, truth they'd never heard, and, and maybe they're wandering through the wilderness. I just want to encourage you and remind you that the Lord's waiting for you when you come back. The Lord's ready for you. He stands there with open arms ready to forgive and ready to embrace and ready to welcome you home. All you got to do is sometimes retrace your steps and find him there. So Abram goes through this process, right? He wanders, he steps away, he realizes he needs to get back to the Lord. He retraces his steps and he finds himself back in the place he left worshiping the Lord. Now verse 5, let's continue through this passage of Scripture. Now Lot, now we're going to be introduced now to this idea of Lot. We've seen him before. We've read about him. If we were to back up to Genesis 11, Lot is, is a nephew of Abram. So Abram is Lot's uncle. Lot is reintroduced to the story here. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Remember, Abram had been incredibly blessed by Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh had offered the dowry to pay for Sarah, who he thought was his sister. Turns out Sarah was Abram's wife. So in this process, Abram had become very wealthy. The Pharaoh had paid him. Probably Abram had blessed Lot and given him possessions. And so you got these two guys now who've got all these flocks and these herds and these tents. Verse 6. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. Right? So there are other people. Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, I want to do something here that I don't usually do. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture to you, but I want you to bring up that third map for me, if you would, please, Wanda, because I want you to see this as I'm reading it, because it will help you better understand. So just listen to these words as I read, verse 10. Lot looked around, and they're both in Bethel. They both returned, and, and by the way, on the east and the way, the Dead Sea's in the middle right there. The Jordan River flows south. The, the land of Galilee is to the north. Jesus did all of his ministry there. Three of the gospel accounts, he, he focuses on Galilee. He comes down here to Jerusalem. There's Jerusalem. So the, the Jordan River flows into the, into the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. It's hundreds of feet below sea level. And so literally on the east and the west, it's just kind of barren wilderness. You see the dark brown there. Mountainous. So Abram says, look, there's, there's obviously not enough room for both of us. We got to part ways in verse 10. So Lot looked around him and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor. See that at the south? 
So all along the edge here, there's the plain of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. It's flat, it's more fertile, more things grow, Zoras to the south. He said it was well watered in verse 10, like the garden of the Lord. This is a reference to Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. And like the land of Egypt. Right? We talked a couple of weeks ago about the Nile River, how it would flood and it would deposit nutrients in the, in the rich soil all along the banks of the Nile and things could grow. So he sees this land down towards Zor. It's well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah are probably on the southern part of the Dead Sea now. They don't exist anymore. You know why? Because God destroyed them. We'll, we'll see that very soon, right? Now verse 11. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. See that? He's going to set out towards the east and he's going to, he's going to walk this area here. He's going to settle here. He's eventually going to settle down here in the southern part. The two men parted company. Verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched the tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So they're going to separate. Abram's going to stay near Bethel in the land of Canaan, the promised land. Lot is going to separate, move to the east and eventually to the south. He's going to live near the city of Sodom. And we're going to see that's going to lead to some very difficult times later. Now here's the second truth. This is important for us to understand. Abraham has wandered to Egypt. He's failed the Lord. He's stepped away from the faithfulness of the Lord. He's come back. He's re-kind of engaged with the Lord. He's worshipped again. He's back at the altar. We have this confrontation. They separate. And here's truth number two. Abraham is going to walk by faith, but Lot is going to walk by sight. This is important. Abraham is going to walk by faith, but Lot is going to walk by sight. Now you may remember at this time in history that there are no kind of legal boundaries, right? There's no piece of paper that says you own this part of the land and you own this part of the land. There's no survey company. There's nobody out there that's kind of seeing who owns what. And so what would happen is these people would show up in an area, they would let their animals graze, and if nobody else lived there, they'd kind of claim it. And so they come to this area, they begin to graze, and they realize there's, there's, there's not enough land for all of our herds, for all of our people, and so we need to separate now, this is not a sermon on managing difficult times necessarily. It's not a sermon on conflict, but I want to point something out very interesting to you. Because they, they come to this point where there's a conflict between the workers of Lot and the workers of Abram. There's this family conflict, the workers are in conflict, there's not enough land. And all of us have either been through this or heard stories, when you begin to get into an argument with your family about money, it never turns out well, Right? That's true. Sadly enough, we've all seen it happen. Maybe you're in the middle of it now. And there are a lot of different ways you can handle this. There's a lot of different ways that Abram could have handled this. But I want you to notice something very interesting about what he does. Abram is going to follow a principle of Scripture that has not yet been written. Remember, Genesis is written literally thousands of years before the birth of Christ. New Testament is not written until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and His ascension in heaven. So we're a few thousand years really before the book of Matthew is written. But Matthew 18, if you've ever tried to resolve conflict and you want to do it biblically, Matthew 18 is a place to start. Matthew 18, there's several verses there that talk about conflict and they're kind of a process that you walk through. But the first process, the first thing you do in Matthew 18 when you've got a conflict with another person is what? You know? You go to that person. What a revolutionary idea. 
Now notice what it doesn't say. Notice what Abram doesn't do. He doesn't go to his best friend and complain about Lot. Can you believe that guy? He doesn't go to his friend and complain. He doesn't get on Facebook and talk about an anonymous person who's being a jerk. Right? He doesn't do that either. None of y'all have ever done that, I know. I know, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't go to church and complain as a prayer request for somebody else in the class. He doesn't do any of those things. Right? Those are things that we do. But if we're going to manage conflict biblically, Lot does exactly what we're called to do. He go, Abram does exactly what we're called to do. He goes to Lot. Right? Genesis 13, 8. So Abram said to Lot. Now this is just a little side note. Again, it's not a sermon on conflict and handling it biblically. But if you want to handle conflict in a biblical fashion, go to the person. Just go talk to them. You'll be amazed at what that will accomplish. I've found in my life personally, it's just a lot easier to sit face to face with somebody and talk. Because 95% of the time there's some sort of misunderstanding we can work out. And if you can't work it out, Matthew 18's got this process you can kind of walk through. But Abram is is a godly man. He's interested in the things of the Lord. He's walking by faith. So he goes to Lot and he says, he handles this very graciously, listen, Lot, you take what you want. He says, look around, look around you. All the land you see, all the areas that you can see, he says, anything you want, you can have it. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so notice Lot's response. Bring verse 10 and and we're going to look at 11 as well. Back up, please. Notice how Lot responds. So Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered. Like the garden of the Lord of the Garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. And he set out toward the east. And the two men parted coming. Now here's what I want you to understand. This is important. Abram at this point has kind of already strayed. He's come back. He's interested in serving the Lord. He's interested in following the Lord. He's interested in worshiping the Lord. So he makes this very interesting, illogical decision. He says to Lot, listen, you can have whatever you want. I don't care. When's the last time you talked to a family member like that when there was a conflict? When's the last time you talked to a friend like that when there was a conflict? When's the last time you said something like this to that person? Listen, I trust the Lord so much. I'm going to walk by faith so much that the Lord promised He was going to do this. You can have anything you want. The Lord will just take care of me after it. You ever thought about saying something like that? Sounds ridiculous in our earthly sense, doesn't it? Sounds very illogical as we think. How in the world could He live like How could He make a decision like this? How could He give Lot whatever He wanted? He gave Lot whatever He wanted. He made this decision because He was walking by faith. You understand? Lot on the other side was walking by sight. Lot wasn't interested in the things of the Lord. Lot wasn't interested in the promised land. Lot wasn't interested in living with his godly uncle that could help him and lead him. Lot looked out, he saw good things, and he wanted to grab it. I just wonder how many of us are living by sight and not by faith. I'll never forget the first time I went to Guatemala. I was with Gary Udy and we were driving in a car through the middle of the jungle and driving through the area of San Juan Mocha, those of you that have been with us. And we stopped. And again, I'd never been to this village. I laid eyes on it for the very first time. 
And we stopped at a village near. We didn't go all the way into San Mokai yet. We stopped at a village nearby and we got out and we met a local guy that Gary had heard of but didn't really know. And the guy said, listen, let me, let me show you around. <laughs> now when somebody shows you around in the villages of Guatemala, it's not quite like he's showing you around here. He's not taking you to the big city and all the big stuff. He's literally walking us through little jungle trails. Those of you that have been will remember some of these trails and you, you literally kind of walk off the road and you get in this really thick jungle and you, you walk through one trail and you veer off to another trail and you walk through it. And for many, many miles it seemed like it probably wasn't that far. We just walked through the jungle. And we came to this big kind of a raging river. You guys that have been with us know kind of the swinging bridge we walk across. They've, they've shut that down now if you haven't been back. They built a, an actual bridge. It's kind of, kind of sad, really. I mean, it's very dangerous to walk across the bridge, but it was really cool. So, but they've taken it down. We used to walk across the thing. Well, here was the bridge that we walked across. It's not really dangerous. I shouldn't have said that. It's, not, it's very safe if you go. Very safe. Nothing to worry about. Nothing at all to worry about. You're going to be fine. So anyway, we, we literally come up to this raging river and this, little, this tiny little bridge, a couple of hundred feet across. We walk across and I'll never forget. We made it across that river and I'm thinking, we are, where are we? I mean, I had no idea. And we, we literally walked out and we kind of came out of the other side, what I thought was the other side of the jungle, and there was a paved road. You don't understand how comforting pavement is until you've been walking through the middle of the jungle. You have no idea where you're... There was no, no stripes, no lines, no signs. It looked like somebody's driveway, but it was pavement. And I thought, I'm back in civilization. I felt so comforted. And we, we turned back around. We had to make the same trek back, and we eventually made it back to our, to our car. And as we're making this trek, I thought, you know, how are we going to get back? Where are we going? I don't have any idea where this village is and where these trails lead to and where I'm going to end up in the jungle. But the thing I, I realized as I was kind of making this trek, and the Lord just kind of reminded me of this as I was walking through this passage scripture. Sometimes when we're walking through the wilderness, sometimes when we're walking through the jungle, if we try to live by sight... If I try to figure out where to walk I'm on, I'm just going to get more lost. But if I've got a guide, somebody that I trust, that I can follow, and I let that person lead me, they'll take me right where I need to be. You ever thought about that? See, the, the Lord says, I've, I've given you this guide in, in Jesus Christ and in my word. And if you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, if you'll let me kind of lead you through this wilderness of life, if you'll walk by faith and not by sight, then I will bless you. See, Abram decided he was going to live by faith and trust the Lord. Abram decided he was going to live by sight. Excuse me. Abram decided to live by faith. Lot decided to live by sight. And so Lot looked out and determined what he thought was best outside of the will of God. Here's how one scholar described it. Speaking of Lot, his whole life seems to be tinged with earthly colorings and to have been struck through with the spirit of the world. We're going to see this in Lot's life. You're going to see this over and over again. He decides to walk by sight, rarely by faith. Now here's the interesting thing about Lot. Abram, oftentimes, we'll see this in the next several chapters, is going to have to rescue Lot. Lot walks by sight, he gets himself in trouble. Abram, the man of God, walks by faith. And because he's walking by faith, he's got the ability to go and rescue Lot. So this scholar goes on speaking of Lot. He preferred to live on the borderland of the true Christian experience rather than in the land itself. And to be quite a little more at home with the filthy sodomites than with the praying household of his uncle Abram. He was dominated by the spirit of the world.
See, I think there's a very clear division here between these two people. They're going to separate. Abram is going to choose to follow the Lord and live by faith. Lot is going to choose to follow the world and to live by sight. Now, some of you are saying, okay, I get that. That makes sense, right? So you got a guy here who's going to seek the Lord and follow the Lord and live by faith. you got another guy here who's going to live his life and he's going to kind of make decisions based on sight. And you may say something like this. Listen, I'd love to live my life by faith and not by sight, but I have no idea how to do it. You may say, I, I just kind of find myself right now. You, you, you talk about being in the wilderness and away from God and you say, maybe there was a time I used to be close to the Lord or I, I, I want to be closer to Him now. You may say, yeah, that's how I'm living right now. You're speaking to my heart, Adam. I want to live by faith. I don't want to live by sight, but I have no real idea how to do it. Well, it's, it's not a very difficult process, but it's one that may take you time to understand how it works. Because what we want to do is we want to wake up in the morning and the Lord just write on the kind of the chalkboard of our life and tell us exactly what to do. But I'll encourage you with something if you're trying to walk by faith and not by sight. I promise you, if you'll spend time in prayer... If you'll spend time reading your word, if you'll spend time listening to godly advice, all of a sudden you'll realize that you're walking more and more by faith and less and less by sight. It's not a hard process. It's not some magic bullet. It's just a sense of seeking in the Lord, reading His word, asking for direction, Trusting Him and living your life day after day after day in obedience to His calling. Zechariah 4, 6 says this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by, not by, not by might, nor by power. Those are things we live by, right, in this world. Might and power. Not by those things, but by the Spirit of the Lord, says the Lord Almighty. You understand that? How often are we living our lives based on our might, our power, our ability, our intelligence, our job, our money, our career, our life, our decision, and we set aside the things of the Lord. We set aside the God, we set aside faith, and we say, Lord, I got this, and we find ourselves wandering in the wilderness. The Lord says, I I want you to come back, but you're only going to do it if you walk by faith. So Lot and Abraham have separated. Lot has decided to walk by sight. Abram has decided to follow the Lord. Now we're in verse 14 as we wind down this morning. So the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. Verse 16. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Here's the third truth I want you to see this morning. Number three, the Lord is now going to remind Abram of the promise. The Lord's going to remind Abram of the promise. I want to show you one final map just to get this in your mind. Bring that last map up if you would, please. Bible says that Lot is going to leave. He's going to go to the plains of the Jordan by the Dead Sea, eventually down to Zor, Sodom and Gomorrah on the southern part of the sea. Abram is going to be given the north and the south and the east and the west and everywhere he can walk. And the Bible tells he's going to end up at Hebron. 
He's going to place his tents there. He's going to build an altar. And again, he's going to worship the Lord. And it's at this point now, this is important. It's at this point in Scripture that the Lord is going to remind Abram of the promise he made. You can bring that down if you would. I want to remind you of Genesis chapter 12. Let me just read it. Don't, don't flip to it. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. This is the Lord speaking to Abram, the original promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. When we went through that a few weeks ago, one of the things that I tried to impress upon you that I wanted you to see are all the different times in those verses where the Lord says, I will do this. Remember? It's not about Abram's power, it's not about his strength, it's not about his ability. The Lord says, I will do these things. I want you to notice now, in the passage we just read, Genesis 13, beginning in verse 15, we're going to see the same sort of thing. The Lord again speaking to Abram. All the land that I see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Verse 16, I will make your offering like the dust of the earth. So that anyone could count the dust and your offspring could be counted. Verse 17, go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Over and over and over we get this sense in the original promise in Genesis 12. In the new promise in Genesis 13. In other instances we'll see as we walk through this account of the life of Abraham. Over and over and over we see that it's the faithfulness of the Lord that sustains Abram, not his own ability. And I just worry that too many of us live in our own power. See, here's the interesting thing to me about the life of Abram. Even when he faltered, even when he failed, even when he ignored the Lord, the Lord still kept his promise. Right? Even when Abram didn't remember, the Lord did. It's a picture of God's grace, isn't it? It's a picture of the free gift the Lord gives to us. I think far too many of us, as we think through our salvation and as we think through our life in Christ, we think we can do enough good things to earn salvation. Let me just go ahead and explain to you if you don't understand. Your salvation is not earned by your works. You can't do enough good things. You can't say enough nice things. You can't give enough money. You can't come to church enough times. You can't memorize enough Bible verses. You can't teach enough Sunday school classes. You can't go on enough mission trips. You cannot do enough. The only way you're going to receive salvation is through the grace of the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. You see, the Lord demonstrates this all these years before the birth of Christ, all these years before Messiah, in the lineage of Messiah, in the first man, the father of the Jewish people, God is going to demonstrate His love and His grace and His faithfulness. And He's going to say to Abram, if you'll just walk by faith and trust me, I'll do great things through you. I want to finish by reading an account in Matthew 14 this morning. Some of you are familiar with it. It's the story of Peter. I think it speaks to the idea of walking by faith and not by sight. Jesus has been speaking to a crowd. He puts the disciples in a boat. He sends them out in a boat. He goes on the side of the mountain and he begins to pray all through the night. In verse 25, shortly before dawn. Now Jesus has been praying all night. The disciples had been out on the Sea of Galilee rowing this big boat. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. 
Every time I read this, I just blow right past this. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what that must have been like to see Jesus literally walking on the water? As if it was no big deal, right? He's just getting, no big deal. I'm just walking across the water to get to the other side of the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. You know what Jesus says? Okay, come on. I just imagine Peter was bluffing. Watch this. Hey, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out of the lake. <laughs> come on, Peter. And now Peter's forced to respond, right? So Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water. He came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me immediately, the Bible says. Jesus reached out his hand and he called him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Yeah, I just want to challenge you this morning. Why don't you get out of the boat and start walking by faith and quit walking by sight? Because when you do that, I will promise you, the Lord will accomplish incredible things in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for again teaching us through the story of Abram through his sinfulness, through his mistakes, through his obedience, through your grace. It's a picture of our lives. It's a picture probably of the life we lead every day, Father. There are times in our day when we're interested in you and there are times in our day when we forget about you. There are times in our walk, Lord, in our lives where we're close and there are times when we're far away. Lord, I pray we would return to you. I pray we'd walk by faith and not by sight. And I pray, Father, that we would take comfort in the fact of knowing that you're there, Lord. You don't change. Even when we stray. Some of us have been gone for years, Lord. You're still waiting. You still wait with arms outstretched, welcoming us, begging us to come back, Father. I pray that you would open up the hearts of those of us, Father, who are far away this morning to be able to see your truth and understand your truth, Father. And then just give us the courage and the strength to retrace our steps and walk back to you. Father, when we do, we're going to find you there waiting with open arms, ready to receive and love us, to do great things through us. Lord, we love you and we serve you in all things. May your name be glorified in all the earth. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance, as we always do at the end of the service, for you to respond. We give you a chance if you want to come and pray at the altar. Maybe you need to get some things straight with the Lord. This is a great time to do that. Maybe you need to repent of your sins. Some of you and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to join our church, but this is your time. You respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.